Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Bavarian Podcast Works here today for the flagship edition of our show. And no, it's not a stranger. No, it's not a new person. It's Tom Adams here. I just haven't been on the pod. And I think about two and a half months, life's been really busy. Coordinating schedules has been pretty insane for me. But nonetheless, this podcast is not about me. It's about Bayern Munich and the Bundesliga. And today I am joined by the one, the only I need no name, and we've got a lot to unpack because unless you're living under a rock, you know what the situation is for Bayern Munich and the Bundesliga. Just recently, uh, I would say about 30 minutes ago, 45 minutes, whatever it may be at the time of recording, Borussia Dortmund just took care of their business, winning 3-0 against Augsburg right after Bayern lost 3-1 to Leipzig. And now the Bundesliga title is very much in Dortmund's hands unless they unravel and lose at home on the final match day of the season, which... The title is yet again going down to the last match day of the season. So this could potentially be the first empty-handed season for Bayern Munich, silverware-wise, in a very, very long time. Uh, And it's a sad reality, but there's a lot to unpack, a lot of angles to explore, avenues to explore as far as where we fell short and where fingers should be pointed. But in first, I got to do a a check on you, man. How are you doing with all this? I know it's a lot to digest and unpack in only the space of a podcast episode. Oh, well, I, I don't. I, I really don't want to be talking about this yet again. And it feels like every single week there's some kind of new setback. Last week, we at least had a good game against Schalke, but all those good vibes are completely gone. And it feels like we have lost the Bundesliga, which for me is honestly a completely new feeling because I became a fan in 2012. I don't really remember the 11-12 season, the season where we came second in every single, um, every single competition. But that means that this is going to be my first ever season where I watch Bayern Munich go trophyless. So I don't know. I, it's going to be a new experience for me. And so far, I'm just going to say I'm not enjoying it, you know? Yeah. Well, and just to just to for technicality's sake, technically, it is not over. Uh, Borussia Dortmund are at home to Mainz on the last I mean, day of the season while we are on. away come at on. FC Kuhn. If, come on, Tom. In fact, if, in fact, Dortmund loses to Mainz, there is no way. There is Kuhn, no way. We will be lifting the Meisterschale, but any other result, draws or wins for both, uh, will result in Dortmund winning their first Meisterschale since Jurgen Klopp. I feel that, honestly, it's more likely that Bayern will lose to Köln than Dortmund will lose to Mainz. Because, <laughs> and it's frustrating because we lost to Mainz, which is an absolutely ridiculous result. But like, I don't get the feeling that Dortmund will slip up this late in the season if they do if they do just just relegate them because they don't have any <laughs> business being a professional football club right and how many times have they slipped up in the past before in previous seasons i mean whether it's look, towards the end of the season or the beginning look to get to this point here today where we are second place Bayern Munich literally had to shoot itself in each foot multiple times right yes and even then the title race is hanging by a thread really so it's not like, for example, you you know those Manchester City versus Liverpool title races where both teams were practically perfect and it was yeah. just that Man City was just slightly more perfect over the course of a long season. It's not like that. Here, both teams have been absolutely abysmal for most of the season and like it just turns out that Bayern Munich have slipped up one too many times. Yeah, essentially, who's stumbling to the finish line less yeah. awkwardly than the other? Exactly. It's just a shambling, rambling mess and it kind of leaves you with a bad taste in your mouth, but... I think that we don't really have to talk more about the title race because it is basically yeah. over. So, yeah, now, and, I mean, even with just the Bundesliga, we all know as yeah. Bayern fans, that's not really necessarily considered a successful season yet again. Yeah, exactly. Even if we did, 
somehow pulled it off from final. here. Like, albeit to one of the teams that has gone on to the final and absolutely demolished Real Madrid, how is, Leipzig, and Real. How is that? <laughs> how does that even matter? Come on, Tom. It Stop. doesn't because the way that because Bayern look, we completely, we completely played Inter Milan off the park, right? Yeah. And that was and back when the we final. weren't even. <laughs> yeah, they're in the final. We didn't even play well against them. We didn't even have to play well against them, and we played them off the park. And they're in the final. We are not. How does that make any sense? And now you're gonna get Manchester City winning their Champions League, and it's it's all it's all a mess. This season is so forgettable. For and then us. the way they won the league yesterday, like Arsenal losing to Nottingham nah, Forest, care. like don't care. Dud, such a dud. Don't it's care. such a depressing end to all of the seasons. Don't and care. I think don't care about the EPL. So, <laughs> um, but let's. So in, I mean, we gotta yeah. unpack this. I mean, I really want to pick your yeah. brain because I know how you felt when the managers were switched and the board made the decision to go with Tuchel instead of Nagelsmann. Now, obviously, in terms of looking at Bayern's season, right? So Tuchel comes in, and then very shortly thereafter, we have a poor run in the Bundesliga, and then get knocked out of both uh, cups, both domestic and and European. A lot of people are going to be pointing the finger as that being the sole reason or one of the biggest reasons why our season has wound up the way it's wound up. But we really did have a poor run in the Bundesliga. In the Hinrunde, I think it was like four matches without a win. So, in I really want to pick your brain. Where do you kind of uh, rate all of these reasons as far as what went wrong? I mean, how much percentage do you give it to that decision, um, firing Nagelsmann, bringing in Tuchel, or do you think it's something much, much beyond that? That's I would much say, deeper? like, to be honest, um, I'm going to say that the responsibility for what has happened here is maybe 30% on Nagelsmann, 30% on Tuchel, and 40% on the board, you know? Or maybe yeah. you can say 35% on Nagelsmann, 25% on Tuchel. But like the board, you can say that they blame, they shoulder the most blame here. But Nagelsmann himself, like he wasn't leading the Bundesliga at the time that he got sacked. Okay. And the performances in the league, I keep mentioning this, they were erratic at best. What we've seen under Tuchel this season is pretty much almost the same as what we've seen under Nagelsmann. Inconsistent performances, poor lineups, strange selections, tactics just not clicking with the players. These kinds of things, they have been consistent between both managers. And you may want to blame, for example, the players, the squad that the board constructed. But the board, in the first place, they were working with Nagelsmann to get the players that he wanted. And Nagelsmann did not really use them all that well. And it was Nagelsmann's fault, really, that we were not, that we, like, from the Hinrunde, where we were nine points ahead of Dortmund, we ended up well, one point ahead, um, sorry, behind them at the time when he got sacked after Bayer Leverkusen. I, I feel that, like, if Nagelsmann had been allowed to continue, the fact that Chupo Moting was injured, the fact that Bayern Munich did not have a recognized striker in those games versus Man City, it could have easily ended up the same way as it has under Tuchel. Maybe not necessarily as bad, but I don't see that specific decision of the midseason change as the exact catalyst for this disaster of a season. Instead, I would say that the reasons are a lot more complicated than that. Yeah, and it's because I, I try to look at the season as a whole too, and I guess I, I'm I'm kind of with you in the uh, allocation and distribution of percentage points for you know where the finger proverbially should be pointed. And I just kind of look back, you know, the Hinrunda, like looking at some of the results, like there's no reason we shouldn't have beat. Stuttgart, right, when uh, Delict gave up that penalty right at the end. No reason we shouldn't have beat Eintracht Frankfurt. 
uh, especially with the way that they've been performing in the Bundesliga this season. Obviously, they've made it to the DFA Pokal final, but um, it's no secret that they're parting with Oliver Glasner because they're not happy with the way that they've been playing in the Bundesliga, and they're trying to get uh, Dino Topmaler. I think most of you have probably seen that on our site or, or read it elsewhere. And I just kind of like there's so many of those results. Was it losing to Augsburg twice or just once? Um, somehow and mention Gladbach, like there's just no reason why we shouldn't have been uh, winning those games, but we didn't. And you can look at, you know, the long-term injury to, to Mane, um, as Rawi having pericarditis after the World Cup and not being available for so long. But then that kind of uh, gave, uh, opened another door for Benj- Benjamin Pavard, as did the long-term injury to Luca Hernandez, which it seems like we at least have two superstars with serious injuries every season. It's essentially just par for the course at, at Bayern Munich, but I think the depth was there to the point where that shouldn't have mattered. Um, and then, because I just remember, like, remember how the season started in, right? It was, we didn't have this striker. We had just lost a striker in Lewandowski that could guarantee us 30 goals, 40 goals across all competitions every single season, unless there was like a major injury issue, which for him, he's in freakishly good shape. So that never really happened. He gets offloaded to Barcelona. We don't have a natural striker. We bring in Matthew Stell, we bring in Sadio Mane, and we still don't have a natural striker. But I think it was uh, Tedesco after the uh, DFL Super Cup when we beat Leipzig before he was sacked. It was like trying to hide from arrows that were slung at you in every direction because we had all of these fluid attacking players with Mane, Gnabry, Leroy Zane, Kingsley Coman, Thomas Muller, Jamal Musiala. And we all kind of felt that that was going to be very positive. You know, we'd seen so many teams be successful with a false nine or without a, you know, a bona fide striker. But and, and I don't think anybody like would you have expected Chapamoatang's uh, or Chupamoatang rather his scoring form this season? That's something I completely did not expect, and kind of to me was just almost like a fluke. And I knew that that was going to break at some point, and it shouldn't be something that we should have started to uh, rely on. Would you probably agree with that? In well, the thing is that we couldn't do anything but rely on him, and I expected us to eventually end up needing some kind of striker at some point and making some kind of panic decision. My prediction back in the summer was that we would make we would make a deal for Ronaldo. Okay. But that didn't happen, obviously. But despite that, we ended up relying on the striker anyway. We ended up relying on Chupa Moting to be our guy. And as soon as he went down injured, everything went wrong for us. That being said, you did mention the beginning of the season where we were playing really well, having all those good performances. And I have to say that like it, the beginning of the season feels almost like, I don't know, like a different world at this point because we played a 4 triple 2 right? A 4 triple 2 formation, but with Sadio Mane and Serge Gnabry up top and then Thomas Muller and Jamal Muziala behind him. We played that formation for three games. Then we switched it off for Bochum, where we won 7-0. And after that, we ha- we started drawing games and dropping points. Okay? Nagelsmann had that pattern for the entirety of this season. He had setups that did work. He had formations that did do well. But he always tended to drop them for things that didn't seem to make sense. And that's the exact reason that we found ourselves in... What was it? February that Nagelsmann got sacked. February or March? Uh, yeah, I think uh, that it was, uh, March during March, the March. Yeah, it was March break. that he got sacked, and that's why we found ourselves second place in the Bundesliga at that point in the season, right? So, like, once that has already been done, right? I can understand the board's decision to sack him. And the only problem here is that why didn't they sack him sooner? But that's a whole different kind of forms, and 
In the meantime, you have Tuchel then coming in. He did beat Borussia Dortmund, so he did get, like, you know, he did get the immediate advantage over them. But it was always going to be an uphill struggle for him to make the season, how should I say, to make the season successful. That being said, I'm not going to absolve Tuchel of blame here either. I don't think that there's any reason for him to have been as terrible as he has been. Because, like, I think that our squad has talent. I think that our squad, even without Lewandowski, it has enough potential to do really well against any team in the world, be it Man City or be it Borussia Dortmund or be it Augsburg or whatever, right? There is no excuse for some of the games that we've had under Thomas Tuchel. And this is independent of what I think of Nagelsmann or what I think of the board's actions or what I think of the squad. Well, even I have to ask you as uh, yeah. one of your one of your main men, as <laughs> you're a very high-ranking member of the Muller Mafia, it was Tuchel yeah. who was like inexplicably leaving Muller out of the starting lineup. Every coach uh, has to do this, right? he became frustrated. And like we weren't, they, not to say that was the sole reason we were experiencing a poor run of results, but... Uh, it's just a simple equation. Not playing him and not starting him just never seems to bode well for any manager of, of Bayern. Yeah, and because it, seems it means like that it always they've, they've lost. With, uh... You know that it just means that they've lost sight of what makes Bayern Munich successful. Like they basically lost the plot. That's literally what not playing Muller means, and that means that they're gonna have issues elsewhere on the pitch because they're just not paying attention. Okay, it's not that. Thomas Muller is a god that makes us always win games. It's just that Thomas Muller brings a certain thing to the system. And if a coach either does not recognize that special thing or he doesn't value that special thing that Thomas Muller brings, he's not going to be successful with this group of players. That is well, it's even, just a simple uh, fact. Almost like the veteranship too, because I'll, I'll kind of pose the argument this way. How many times do you see Thomas Muller not playing great, but still keeping a positive attitude and then popping up and doing something... Uh, very, uh, very productive, whether it's an assist or creating space for a goal. And take someone like Leroy Zane, who we've had issues with his demeanor and his body language and the way he carries himself before. You know, how often do you see Zane do the, the exact opposite? You know, he makes a couple wrong passes, the fans get on him, and he just, you know, uh, assumes very poor body language. He looks very dissatisfied and he struggles to get back in the game. And then he kind of plays himself into, you know, more room for criticism, which is just a terrible, you know, manifestation. And, what is it? I saw there was a stat floating around earlier this weekend. The amount of times, uh, I don't know if it was the amount of times in or the amount of goals that we've conceded when we've had leads or the amount of leads that we've blown, which for me is like a huge, glaring, uh, obvious problem. And it's almost kind of like, I don't know if it's just uh, maybe with the back line or the, in a combination of the midfield, but or an absence of players like Muller with that veteran experience and that demeanor to never really drop the belief levels. Just because sometimes it can be contagious if you see a player around you who's being a little bit jittery or very hesitant in their decision making and not calm and relaxed, it can kind of be a little bit contagious for players who are kind of in between, you know, first or second year players in the squad and veteran players of the squad, both in total experience and the amount of time they've been on Bayern squad. And I think it just it's been so obvious that. Yeah, there's a lack of, can, you know, they can just like, smell that right? on us. And it's almost like, yeah. like yesterday, it's like, oh, we have the one nil lead. Oh, my God, against Leipzig. Like someone's there's going to be it's like if there's one weak link in the chain, that chain will break and it won't work. Or like yeah, we Christmas saw that track, so many times on the Nagelsmann. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Yeah, because like we saw so many games where we took the lead and then we could not in any way, shape or form hold it. And then there are other games like you think about, for example, the flick era where we used to go down. Right, oh, early yeah. in and games, then, and then the halftime comes and it would come out. Yeah. yeah, 
how many comebacks have we really made this season? Have we made any? Can you think of any big comebacks? Right. Like, with the, surely maybe one or two, right? Somewhere in there. But, like, I can't have anything come to mind. Whereas in the Flick era, it was basically every week. So it's mostly the same players. The players have not changed all that much. So where has the mentality gone? And at that point, you have to blame the people in charge, the people working with these guys every single day. Yeah. I mean, and you're even asking that question. I'm trying to look for one, literally, uh, where we might have had one comeback. And all I'm seeing are just situations where we've had a multi-goal lead and we blow it. Um, I guess if you want to count a draw, I remember Union Berlin in the uh, the Hinrunde, we were losing uh, 1-0 and then bounced back and drew. But, you know, it, it's those matches, not to say not any discredit to Union Berlin, but those matches that you're getting one point from instead of three, where you really should be getting a, a full three that kind of make the difference. Um, because if you, well, I think we took four points from Borussia Dortmund, the two uh, encounters. Obviously, if you're getting the better points total from your direct rival threat, if you're taking care of business elsewhere, that means you should be ahead of them. But as we discussed earlier, both Bayern and Dortmund dropped points kind of needlessly where they uh, they really shouldn't have been. Yeah, and even Derek Lasker, when uh, Tuchel had come in charge, we had a, I believe, yeah, I think it was a four-goal lead and then gave up two goals and made two it a little here. nervy at the end. I mean, yeah, I, I literally, in I cannot find one because uh, it's either we really blew the doors off of somebody or, um, you know, we let them back in the game or... Yeah, and that just tells yeah, you. I, about, yeah, I mean, like, there you go. I mean, state of the, the squad, pudding. right? That just, that just tells you like the state of the squad's mentality. They don't really have it in them to, how should I say, it, to really grab a game by the scruff of their neck and really, how should I say, it, take the team to victory. So I, I, I want to ask, like, what? Who do we blame for this? Who is it that we finally, in the end, like blame for this whole thing? Because you heard my opinion that I mostly put it on like the coaches as in the two coaches combined, I give them 60% of the blame. Right. So how would you, uh, like, how would you make it? I would just add a higher percentage point to the board. I just think there just would have been for, for continuity's sake. I don't think there was anything like inherently wrong as far as like, uh, like I still to this day, like I've said to people, I don't know if there's something else that the board is just never going to tell us that had to do with like the Nagelsmann situation, because just like trying to put myself in the shoes of Khan or uh, Razo or uh, Herbert Heiner, trying to sit in those meetings with the supervisory board, like it just can't imagine them logically coming to the conclusion that we were still within reach of everything. Technically, a trouble was still on and there wasn't this as sour of a taste around the club as there was uh, when Tuchel came in and had a few poor results after getting uh, the Derek Lasker winner. I think there might have been one or two other matches that he got points from when he first took charge, if, if I can uh, remember correctly. But it just seemed like that that calculated risk was way... Yeah, excuse me. It was literally Derek Lasker. Then we got uh, rolled out of the day of call by losing to Freiburg, then beat Freiburg in the league and then lost to Man City, drew Hoffenheim, drew Man City again, lost to Mainz. Uh, so I think that run and that stretch right there, just following the managerial switch decision was like the real big dagger because you had something where uh, Nagelsmann was given a longer contract. He was not that long into it. We had a lot of injuries, I think, not having uh, Chupamotang for a while, not having Sadio Mane. Because I still, uh, not just even taking off my Liverpool fan hat, 
like I thought he was really, really doing well in the beginning phases of the season. And then that whole uh, knee injury just before the World Cup that kept him out with Senegal really just seemed to be so detrimental to his progress. And he never really seemed to get really fully back to it. And as we know now, like he's kind of out of favor in the squad and hasn't been making many starts, whether it was Nagelsmann before he was sacked or Tuchel. So I think there's a lot of things that really went into like whether it was Tuchel or Nagelsmann didn't work in their favor. So for me, more of it just comes to the board. It seems like almost like you said earlier, if you had that option in Tuchel on the back burner, right? We always joked about the uh, quote unquote Tuchel shadow for Bundesliga managers because a lot of uh, especially like Bayern, the preference to a German and a German speaking coach with a pedigree in European competition when he was out of a job at Chelsea, sort of uh, inexplicably, we all know like I we can kind of laugh at them for how many freaking managers they've had, how much money they spent, and it's done them absolutely nothing. Pretty sure their owner thinks that is a, uh, a baseball club handing out, you know, 10 year, eight year contracts. But I just think it was, they either should have done it earlier, maybe uh, during that World Cup break, or waited because, the cal- like, like I said, it's a calculated risk. Because if you make a decision like that and it backfires like it has, like you, the, the fingers are going to be pointed at you is I don't think it's a lack of effort from the players or for a lack of trying. Um, some blame does have to go to them, but I just think making the decision when they did, just really, if there was any looming shreds of doubt within the squad, that just kind of really piled everything on and kind of tore it open and really just made things a lot more complicated, more so than they should have been. Um Man City, obviously, they're one of the most remarkable teams this season. Like, no surprise, they spend the most money out of anybody. So go figure. But I think maybe, maybe we had could be sitting in the, the day of April call final and not in second place uh, in the Bundesliga had that decision not been made. So I, I think, I don't want to say like 70 or 80, but maybe uh, more conservatively, say 60% on the board. I don't know if, how much pressure they faced from the supervisory board because we all know now that like Billy Honus is like super close with Thomas Tuchel and is a big fan of his, and we we found out from reporting uh, about a month ago that he still actually has a lot of pull with some of the decisions that are made, even though he's just on the supervisory board now and kind of like a quote unquote honorary president. But yeah, I mean, I think most of the blame needs to be placed on the board. I think I think that decision really was like a bigger derailment than uh, anything else, and I know that you might not feel the same. Yeah. Um. Well, I don't know what I feel, but. I know that something needs to change. So let me ask you that. What is the first thing you change about Bayern Munich after the final game is finished? After the final game, I think that a lot of pressure. Uh, well, I mean, first off, that that meeting is going to take place right with the board. Um, yeah, I think maybe much like the reporting suggests, I think Khan is more under fire uh, than than Braza would be, because I think the, the latter has more protection from the uh, more senior members of the Bayern hierarchy in the supervisory board, um, and then also has more of a track record of actually bringing in decent players. So I think I would I would probably look at Kahn um, and Heiner. I, I, it's it's weird because I just don't really know how much... It seems like, like you were saying, you made that like half satire piece about Mueller. Like that guy, he just says like uh, diplomatic, you know, PRE stuff to the press. And then it's like the exact opposite happens, which is like, that seems like all he does as far as uh, the actual personnel in the club and the actual um, <clears throat> results. It seems like he's just more um, more aligned with uh, running the business, given his experiences. You know, uh, I think it was Adidas CEO, and it's more so Khan and Braza with like the personnel decisions and you know the really big crunch decisions in that regard. So 
I would say a con needs to be addressed. Um, and maybe it's, it's tough because I don't have a CEO candidate in the back of my head, but you know, that's also why they don't pay me the big bucks. And that's, that's up to the supervisory board, but I think he needs to be looked at. And then I do think, um, the board really needs to back Tuchel like they said they would with a 100 million euro, uh, value striker, because I think that will change things quite a lot. Um, so I think those would be the two big things, you know, getting that top tier striker in just like Bayern has had for so many years with Lewandowski and then, you know, seriously reconsidering Khan's position. Uh, I don't know if you feel the same on those fronts. So what I would do, honestly, like you said that we should give Tuchel full control, right? But I don't necessarily agree with that. I think that what we should do is that we should go back to what Bayern Munich used to do, which is be 100% Bayern oriented. Like no more of these manager specific signings. Instead, we look at players that any manager who comes into FC Bayern Munich can use. So a player like Delict, for example, he is a player that any Bayern Munich coach will be glad to have. Whereas a player like Sabitzer, even though Nagelsmann had him and Nagelsmann wanted him, he wasn't able to really integrate him into the squad. So that's the kind of signing we should avoid. So if Tuchel starts making demands, like he says that he wants something like Mason Mount from Chelsea, you have to say no. Right. And I know that's not backing the manager and that's not giving him exactly what he wants, but managers should not be given what he wants because in the end, it's a fact that Tuchel or any manager for that matter, they're not going to be long-term options at this club. They're not going well, yeah, to hang and he around. He only yeah. has a two and a half year contract with Bayern, exactly. I believe. And like, I don't expect him to see the, see out the whole thing either. So yeah. Um, like you think he'll be gone before then. Yeah, I think I honestly, like based on what I've seen from Tuchel, he's going to be gone by mid-October, which is why I want whoever the Bayern Munich board decides to sign, they should be signing them with a vision for FC Bayern Munich in mind. So that means a striker, a proper hold-up play, target man type striker, right? This is why I'm kind of confused about the links with Randall Kolomwani because he's not exactly that kind of player. I understand why Bayern won't go after Osterman, but like... This is why I wish we would have kept Lewandowski for one more year. You know, this is why I thought that, like, it would be very difficult to replace him. Because here we are, what? It's been almost 11 months into the season. And we are talking about, like, the thing that we were talking about back last summer, which is how do we replace Robert Lewandowski. Serge Gnabry, he has been good, hasn't he, in recent weeks? But do you trust him, Tom, to be that guy? No. Oh, absolutely not. And Gnabry is a player. I've said this. I've floated this on our social media page. It's just most people are in the camp of letting him go because his form at Bayern, even when he's really, really on, it's so streaky. Yeah. Uh, and it's nice to have the Serge Gnabry, you know, when he scores a brace against Schalke or, you know, scores a goal against RB Leipzig, even if we lose. But I mean, y you want to have a player that gives you that more than, you know, 25% of the season, if that. Um, you want a player who's far more consistent. So he's not the answer. He's far too streaky. Um, his form is not consistent enough. And, you know, just as some of the chances he wastes, we need someone yeah, who's and typically more automatic and, you know, confident in front of goal and can guarantee you, you know, maybe 20 goals a season or somewhere near there. Yeah, and one thing I should mention about Gnabry is that I think that he is a good candidate to fetch us a decent amount of money if he's sold. Right. So, like, I don't see why we couldn't sell Gnabry for something like 60, 70 million euros. Because yeah. he did have a good end of the season, and he is a guy that these EPL teams really know. 
So if he dangled him in front of an EPL team, say Newcastle, for example, like they're the kind of team that would definitely, definitely give us money for that. Right. Oh, yeah. And especially if get, now. After like, if, you, if you raise, yeah. And if you raise like 50, 60 million from that, like, you know, is is someone like Osman still impossible after that? Like, we are one of the richest clubs in the world and we are about to announce record revenue, according to all reports, like over 800 million euros in revenue. So yeah. if that's the case, like, why keep playing it so conservative? Why not? I don't know. Why not break the bank a little? And maybe if you're going to shift Gnabry out anyway, why not? go all out for someone who can really make a difference. Obviously, the converse to that is that we don't know necessarily if Osman is going to be the guy to make the difference. And if we are wrong, that's a lot of money that we've just spent that is never coming back, right? So despite that, I think that Bayern Munich, like, you know, whenever a team, and I mentioned this in the match observations in the, how should I say it, in the comment section of that, that Bayern Munich as a team, we are pretty good, as in, Whenever a team has a season like this, we go completely trophyless. We have these horrible performances, this, that, all these issues seem to crop up. Whenever a team goes through that, the fan base will normally say, God, this team is just so far away from the top level. We need to do a complete overhaul. Things don't work. This needs to change. That needs to change. I don't get that feeling from Bayern Munich. I get the feeling that we are just a few, like just on the squad level. I'm not talking about the board or the manager. Just from the squad level, I think we're just a few tiny little tweaks away from being, you know, a trouble candidate, to be honest. Right. Yeah. And and you see that mainly as that uh, that top tier striker in the same bracket as, as Osiman. It's unfortunate that, um, and I agree with Mwani too, I think he's a player who's very much better on the break uh, and on counterattacks and situations where he has a lot of space in front of him to run into with his pace and uh, more, I guess, it, like, especially playing for France too. It kind of seemed like in the World Cup when he came on, he would come on as kind of this like wide rule uh, opposite Kylian Mbappe and I kind of agree with you there not maybe necessarily with his back to goal type of player or someone right on him you know obviously doesn't have like the physical frame of a Lewandowski or a Chupomotang he, he does have but, a decent stature to him like he is a bit gives a little bit of a Holland vibe in that regard you know yeah maybe a different haircut though yeah definitely but um, he, if that's what um, you well, and also, too, like, you know, we know that Tuchel has placed this emphasis on that top class striker and then also like a very physical number six defensive midfielder. And we already are bringing in Konrad Leimer from RB Leipzig. Who it's very interesting, actually, in with Leimer, uh, obviously, yesterday, stinging us a little bit. Um, but with as far as his position, it, the people say it was slightly different under Nagelsmann when Nagelsmann was still at RB Leipzig, but some people will kind of sit here and argue till they're blue in the face that he's not a number six. And then at well, the same, he isn't really in like, the same argument. Some people will tell you he can very well play that position. And then well, if he does that, it'll give uh, Kimmich all more freedom uh, offensively. But still, Tuchel has, a, you know, even knowing we're just going to have another midfielder and it's still up in the air whether Gravenberg will be sold. Um, it, it we're bringing in a number six, but it's like if you're going to ha- spend all this money on a top class striker, it's like what type of number six are you going to be available to bring in? Well, honestly, I just think that this number six debate is so dumb because it just puts all our squad planning into jeopardy. First of all, we already have three number eights on the squad, Goretzka, um, Gravenberch, and Sabitzer. Sabitzer is going to be sold to Man United at the rate we're going, right? Well, and That's, even if he wanted to, and, uh, Luciano uh, could play there. We've seen yeah, managers. We, we have seen managers do that, which is a whole different conversation that I don't want to get into right now. But like I did discuss it in the post-match uh, rant on 
the RB Leipzig game. Just listen to that if you're interested. But the thing is that the problem with Joshua Kimmich moving to the number eight role is that not only do we not have a number six anymore at this squad, in this squad, is that it also displaces all the number eights that we have. Because even if Zabitzer leaves this summer, we're still bringing in Limer. And then you end up having, like, once Kimmich has moved, you end up having still three players for one single position and then zero players for the other one. So if you keep being this unsettled in midfield, how is that supposed to work? Because the midfield is the beating heart of the team. It's the base from where everything else launches. Like you can have an amazing attack and amazing defense, but if you don't have a good midfield, you're not going to make a dent at the top level, right? So we saw it against Man City, right? Kimmich, uh, Kimmich, he was good, but he could not by himself stop uh, Man City's midfield composed of Rodri and uh, De Bruyne and Silva and Grealish and all those other players. He couldn't stop them by himself. And in the end, it was a moment where Rodri himself got a moment free from Joshua Kimmich and managed to score a long-range goal, leading to us going 1-0 down. So it's just one of those moments to me that encapsulates the problem with Bayern Munich's midfield this season, which is the main thing that needs to change. And the main person to change it, in my opinion, is not the board in the transfer market, but Thomas Tuchel in the dressing room, you know? So for you, do you envision... So if we... Would you say that if we get a top-class striker yeah. uh, in the same bracket as Moani or uh, Osman or um, Someone maybe not? Like that. Uh, uh, yeah, I keep bringing up Vladic, you know. <clears throat> yeah, from Juventus, and uh, I of mean, course, look, a player that we were heavily delict, linked with. Yeah, based on um, how Delict has performed since coming from Juventus, I mean, imagine what Vladic could do. Yeah, I mean, so would you think in that just that one striker, that puzzle piece, and a lot of yes. problems are solved? Y- yes, I think ninety percent of problems are solved by that puzzle piece. Like even problems with the board can be papered over if you get results on the pitch. And like, um, no matter how dysfunctional you are at the top, if the results are there on the pitch, because this board was in charge, I mean, at least Brazil was in charge for a treble, right? So no matter how dysfunctional things are on the pitch, they can be papered over if you have the right squad and you have the right tactics and you put them out playing each game well, which finally comes back down to the manager. The manager has a good squad at his disposal. He needs a striker. That's on the board to get them a striker. But then he needs to stop making stupid decisions. And I'll let you, Tom, tell me which is the number one stupid decision he should not make. Well, what the number one decision that Tuchel shouldn't make? Yes. Other, You mean other than benching Thomas Muller? No, that is number one. Well, yeah, that is number one. Oh, so number that's one, so okay, you were, so what you were is setting me up then? to answer that question. Yeah. yeah. Oh, number two. What's number two then? Number two dumbest decision that Tuchel could make. Hmm. Let's see here. Other well, than benching something Thomas that something Muller, that I love, you know, something that you love. Uh, does it not have to do with Benjamin Pavar? Because I know that you uh you well, like Benjamin to get on Pavar his is on the way out, right? He might be. Uh, he might be. Dating. Supposedly, I think he's another one who's kind of up in the air because of this resurgence that he's had. Um, because with Masrawi being out for a while and Hernandez being out for well, a while, the he's had penalty he conceded might have reduced value a little. Yeah, the thing is that, that I was think. Not- yeah, I think that the board might decide because we don't seem to be able to move on money. So if we end up not selling Gnabry either, then Pavard is our only way to make up any kind of money. I I can see a team paying a good amount for him, like fifty million or something. Like if we really try. I guess maybe one of the second second dumbest things is uh maybe like we were talking on, about maybe on, one thinking. of you you were thinking the you you're thinking on the right lines. You thought of Pavard, so it's something to do with the defense. Not going to a back three. Yes. 
and yes. just sticking no with that more, four, two, three, no one. more back threes. My God, like that's why we <laughs> lost your minds. Remember? Yeah, and like kind of, kind of playing, and people have different adaptations on it. But at what point do you just say just because they don't no, line up? Like an, if it's, it doesn't work. If it's it the work. inverted like wing defenders like uh, Mazraoui or uh, Davies, like it's still a core back three of the three center backs. Yeah. And even though the guys ahead of them may be defenders by trade, they're not uh, tactically and, and formationally actually defenders there. Because um, some people are like, oh, well, it's really just an inverted back five that goes up and down. But in reality, in the foundation, you have those three center backs and it does affect the way uh, everything is spaced on the pitch and how everybody else moves on and off the ball. And yeah, tweaking it and going back and forth and, you know, trying to yeah, decide, okay, this matches back three, this match yeah. isn't like keeping a solid yeah, that's, foundation. That needs, to, that needs to end, you know, like no more of this back three nonsense, no more of these simple unforced errors. Just get a strike. If you get a striker in, play sim. keep it simple, you know, keep it simple like Tuchel did in his first game in charge of Bayern Munich. Then I think we will be all right next season. I think like if you ask me right now, even without any transfers being made, like who's going to win the Bundesliga title next season? Champions League is a different story. Champions League, I I don't know right now, but Bundesliga title next season, I would probably still say Bayern Munich, and I think a lot of people would still say that. I would too, and it's you know not for nothing either. But um, even even with the uh, some of the poor results that have plagued Bayern and Dortmund this season, um, you, you can't just sit here and say that Dortmund is a completely you know terrible team. I mean, I think they have shown progress well, and, and uh well i mean i think that they Tezic, have shown a lot of progress i, I, I hate i hate Tessich ball it, it's i, I so think that ugly. uh you know it's it's no no surprise like how much uh, jude bellingham stock has risen and and how yeah, he's wanted he also is also this summer so yeah for uh probably real madrid it, it sounds like which i i i hate how it's just a cop yeah. out i i call that and manchester city just taking the easy option like you know i i uh-huh. just my my says the liverpool this, fan distaste for man city and all of the uh sports washing clubs and you know mm-hmm. everybody sits here and they're like so infatuated with all of the records that holland broke and i'm like well yeah he took the easy route went to the easiest possible team for that to happen and he did it like imagine if okay like imagine if uh something happened and Lewandowski had gone to man city instead of well, Erling holland Lewandowski oh broke God, all his records in yeah it, yeah like so that's unit, what i'm saying so- Oh my God! In Lewandowski has broken all these records. Absolutely sensational! It's like, oh, well, he, no, it's a top class striker. Well, it, the best players. But it is so. It's still sensational, right? Because but it is. Way, but it's like people are acting like they're so surprised, and I guess yeah, they're it's acting surprised the, the because they don't Bundesliga like Bundesliga. Hat. Yeah, it's like we've seen this guy. It's like, where was this guy for Dortmund? He exactly, and this many where is, where is, always be injured. Whereas, whereas we know that he always scored for Dortmund. It was insane, and he even scored against Bayern. He he terrified us when he played, and so we knew what Haaland would do when he went to the Premier League. No one just listened to us because Timo Werner and Kai Havertz went once upon a time, and they said that. Oh my god! <laughs> they said that the <laughs> defenders are in the Premier League are so much bigger and stronger, and Haaland makes them look like a complete joke. So this brings me to my last topic, which is you know Bayern Munich. Since we're talking about the consequences of losing the title, what do you think the consequences are for the Bundesliga's reputation as a top-level league or just or as a league that fans want to watch? Do you think this is going to repair the reputation of that? Only ever so slightly because I, I still think there's uh, too much of a an outside, like uh, just a lack of understanding. Yeah. Um, I do think this will draw some more interest. 
um, especially with the amount that will be made of the fact that, you know, if, you know, everything is sealed up next weekend and Dortmund takes care of business and they win their first title since Jurgen Klopp, who is now so much more of a commercially recognizable need face. need to know much more about Jurgen Klopp, please. What's that? You don't need to know any more about Jurgen Klopp. Well, I'm saying look at that connection. Look at how big uh -huh. he is now. We all knew uh -huh. who he was before he went to Liverpool. But he's now so much more marketable of a character because uh -huh. of the exposure he gets because he's a Premier League manager. So I think stuff like that will definitely come into play. And I think they will ask guys like Thomas Tuchel or other German managers that are in England how much this means. And it will draw some. I think so. I think there'll be general interest from people who were sort of on the fence or maybe had thought about watching more of the Bundesliga in the past. But um, I think it's minimal at best just because there's just. There's just so many, uh, so many leagues that are so like kind of in your face, and I think that as far as like all the streaming services are concerned, but I, I think that money-wise, you know, I think even our board is starting to kind of come to the realization, like, hey, like we can't lose pace with like the Premier League and the other leagues that spend so much money because we're just we keep falling behind. But I do think, you know, for like I said, for people who might have been on the fence or those people who really only know who Bayern and Dortmund are because of their, their success and they don't really know the other teams in the Bundesliga, it'll definitely draw some more interest, which is good because the more the merrier. Well, honestly, I think the opposite. I think this is just going to be another stick to beat the Bundesliga a bit because even though Dortmund are winning the title this season, it's because Bayern were bad and not because Dortmund were good. Oh, yeah, but I mean, the average person, they won't. But the that. thing, but the, the average person doesn't care to begin with, right? Yeah. So I'm talking about like football fans. What do they think? And I think that's going to be the overarching narrative because what do, what did football fans hear about Bayern Munich this season? The fact that we sacked Nagelsmann. So that's going to go back to being the majority opinion that we sacked Nagelsmann and Bayern Munich had to shoot itself in in the foot for Dortmund to win the title, other than rather than Dortmund being an incredible, amazing team. And the Bundesliga's really poor performances in Europe this season, with only Leverkusen managing to get to a European semi-final. That also compounds things because it makes it seem like the league had a really poor year. And this is the only year that we ended up having a title race properly. So I just feel that like the, all the people who screech about the Bundesliga not having a title race, this, that, all of that is completely like irrelevant. And it's going to become completely irrelevant as soon as Dortmund win the title, because it was never about that in the first place, you know? It's more yeah, about, it's always been saying. about, yeah, it's always been about more like Premier League fanboyism and, you know, that kind of like elitism about your favorite club. And there are just way more Barcelona, Madrid fans and more Premier League fans than there are Bayern Munich and Dortmund fans. And that's just what it comes down to, you know? It, it could just also to, be yeah. like a bias, like where I am, like I'm in the United States. So it's like, yeah. you know, it, you have like, it's like me. So the knowledge I have of like Bayern and like all of the European leagues and obsessed with it and obviously write about it and talk about it all the time, um, there's like really no medium. It's either someone like that or someone who just like knows, oh yeah, like I know Manchester United, like I know these teams. Yeah, and it's, I know the same. The players, like, it's the same. It's the same here in leagues. India, you know? It's, it's, there, it's like, literally I'm telling the same. You, there's like Perception no is completely, yeah, there's no in-between, yeah. Either you know or you completely are an outsider. So like, I don't know. I just, I can't see this being necessarily a positive. I think it's kind of a positive that, Finally, the Bayern Munich complacency is being broken. And the last time we had this kind of a wake-up call, the board went out and signed Javi Martinez and then we won the treble. So that's completely possible. Right. But on the other hand, I don't necessarily see this repairing the league's reputation as a competitive league unless we see more good performances from Dortmund and the other clubs 
going forward into next season and beyond. And especially uh, in, in Europe as well. Especially in Europe, exactly. So I think that pretty much covers it. I think we've talked about pretty much everything we wanted to talk about. So yeah, you want to wrap up? Yeah, I was just going to say, don't give up hope on the silver lining, right? Dortmund could lose next weekend. There is Bayern no way. Win. There is no but, way. <laughs> but nonetheless, uh, we are very appreciative that you were able to uh, listen to us kind of unpack everything that, that's gone wrong this season, both recently, in the past, uh, and like in said, the beginning of the hand which does feel like it was like 50,000 years ago at this point. Uh, so again... Thank you for listening to this episode of Bavarian Podcast Works, the flagship show. Be sure to like, rate, and subscribe on whatever streaming platform you use to listen to your podcast and us. Be sure to check BavarianFootballWorks.com for all of your Bayern Munich and Germany-related football news, as always. Uh, and then you could catch us on Twitter at BavarianFBWorks. I need no name is at, at BFWN or in at BFW. It's one of those two. And then... Uh, I'm not even going to bother with my personal handle anymore. I don't even check it anymore, to be honest with you. It's always just logged into BFW because uh, that's what I'm primarily uh, dealing with and, and doing stuff on. So until next time, which will probably be either a weekend warm-up or a preview show for the last match of the season at FC Köln. Until then, thank you. Auf Wiedersehen.